Hello and welcome to Daddy Issues, a podcast where we talk about stuff. <laughs> More or less. More or less, it's stuff, it's popular culture and it's problems with our relationships with our fathers. Today, with me, as fucking hours, I speak to him at least twice a week now. It's everyone's favourite boy with daddy issues, David Bryan. I might be, you know. I could just well be that. If there's anything I can hang my hat on, is that I might be uh, everyone's favourite boy with daddy issues. No. Although, so many of the people we've talked about will be people's favourite boys with daddy issues. I'm yeah, way but down so far, the public doesn't know about all the terrible things you've done. Oh, yeah, that's true. So most of the other people with daddy issues are automatically disqualified for, like, terrible things. <laughs> <laughs> Which, so you might pip them at the post just for not being a complete douchebag. But like you said, for now, because there hasn't been for enough. Now. We haven't done enough episodes for the real horrors to be revealed. Yes, yeah, yeah. nobody's investigating your sordid past. Not yet, but there's a reason why I'm not on social media anymore. <laughs> I don't <laughs> make it harder for brother. me to be traced. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The minute I can, I'm going to wipe everything off the net. Like Tom Cruise in some kind of Minority Report-esque scenario where it's like, oh my god, i got to change my eyeballs. <laughs> so, today, uh, we're doing something a little bit different, but it's a fusion of different ideas that we've done before. See, I'm standing up for this podcast, which is so I can really wave my arms. I look like fucking Tony Blair. <laughs> today, on the podcast, we're going to talk about this. Although I'd sound like Boris Johnson while I'm doing it. <laughs> oh dear. They're all shot, fucking scum. I was going to say, anyway. you, didn't, you weren't shooting very high in the first place, but you've landed very low. <laughs> yeah. I mean, either you can choose the man who murdered 140,000 British people through coronavirus, or the man who murdered at least 140,000 Iraqis by sending us into a war. We'd, anyway, we're not here to talk, about, <laughs> to, to talk about Tony Blair and Boris Johnson. We're here to talk about movies that remind us of our fathers in the form of a playlist. Previously, we did uh, a musical playlist of songs that remind us of our fathers and, and why that is. Today, we're doing movies. Uh, we're doing three films each, right? And then we've got a couple of honourable mentions. Hard R. Yes. No, not hard to, R. To... Hard, hard H. Oh, jeez. So you're going to edit it. You can make it hard whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> it's already hard. Trust me. It's a hard playlist, baby. It's a hard not playlist for us. It's... So how many honourable mentions do you have? I only need to mention three. Like, very brief. Um... Oh, my... So you have six? No, I have, I have, you... I have three, three worth talking about and three tiny little uh, anecdotes attached. Oh, okie dokie. We won't be well, here all day. I, I, I hope. I, I am of the the assumption that I have picked ones that uh, remind me of good times with my father, and you have picked three that are like super depressing movies <laughs> that remind you of your relationship with your father and wishing that you were good enough for his love and affection. Is that pretty much? Have right? you been re-listening to our first playlist episode where we picked out songs that reminded of us, reminded us of us of our dads? No, but I just, I know you, and I know, I know how you would come to decide this. It would be like, oh, I remember when me and my dad went to the cinema to see Lion King when I was four years old, 
Or it would be, I remember when I thought my dad didn't love me and then I watched Garden State with Zach Braff. <laughs> I mean, it's it's eerily, you're, you're eerily close to the bone. But then, no, so. I've got, I do have some fun picks this time. Okay. All right. Well, let's jump straight into it then. Do you want to flip a coin for who should go first or do you just want to take it away? I, I went first for the last one. So I think it's your turn to go first this time. Okay, well, what I'm going to do for, for the people at home who can't quite see, but we'll, we'll put it up on the video as well. Uh, I'm going to change my Skype background to the, the, the poster of the movie we're going to talk about, and then you can put it up. So, here we go. Are you ready? The suspense. I'm not sure I am ready. I'm kind of giddy. Okay, artificial drum roll, please. <laughs> oh, yes. Excellent! Yeah, oh, I'm not, wait. Ah. Oh, Dom, oh, your, Dom is part of Bill and Ted. <laughs> now, a motion picture so grand, so magnificent, and so vast, it spans 7,000 years. No way! Yes way! But it starts with Bill. I'm Bill S. Preston! Who was Joan of Arc? And Ted. Noah's wife, we are in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow. If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! <gasps> Bill and Ted's Excellent! Excellent! Excellent Adventure. Party on, dude. So, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is the first up on my playlist. Excellent and choice. That's very good. That's very good, Dave. I see what you did there, completely unintentionally. Accident. It was definitely an accident. I could tell from your eyes that there wasn't that. Is he going to laugh at my joke? You just, <laughs> <laughs> he, he just said it and then was caught unaware by Am his I usually that humor. desperate from, for, for affirmation after I make, some, I make a funny remark? No, but it feels like looking in the mirror. But, and what I can see is just your cold, dead reflection. <laughs> that's everything I see in the mirror. No, but that's actually a useful, uh, useful side point. Because although uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is a big one for, for me and Dad, um, it's also Bogus Journey, which of course features death. And so well, I've put up Bill and Ted, but I didn't just want to go straight for, uh, for uh, Excellent Adventure. Because there are very specific scenes especially from Bogus Journey, that are like big connections to my relationship with Dad. Um, most famously, the you sunk my battleship scene, right, where yeah. they are playing games against death in Bogus Journey. Um, and that is a quote that, that comes up all the time with my dad, the you sunk my battleship. And like this, that whole concept, which is, what's the name of the movie it's harking back to? It's like a... Nineteen-twenties Swedish film, yeah, Bergman. where he's playing. Yes, yes. Ingmar is it Ingmar Bergman? Yeah. I think it's an Ingmar Bergman. Uh, Ber Ing Ing Ingmar Bergman. Bergman. Got it out. Yes. Yeah. Like I, I think never remember his, the name yeah. of the movie. Uh, the Seventh Seal, I think it's. The Seventh Seal. Called. That's is that the one right. you mean? Yes. Yes, because he's playing uh, playing chess with death on the beach, I believe. Uh, yes. Well, not necessarily on the beach, not like a, on a beach resort, but, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, by the ocean, I suppose. 
And so that scene with them playing Games Against Death is a direct uh, a direct reference to that. Um, but rather than it being an intense philosophical discussion about the meaning of life, um, it's Battleship Cluedo and Twister. And uh, <laughs> Death is famously a sore loser. And it's just, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. Um, and one of the reasons that the Bill and Ted, this thing really works for me and Dad, is that it would constantly be played, repeated on Sundays on ITV2. And, thank you, ITV2. Uh, thank you, ITV2, you bloody blessing in disguise. Because uh, because I would see my dad on Sundays, specifically on Sundays, um, by the time I w- he would pick me up at my mum's house and then we would get back to his... When, when I was a kid, this isn't like two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> more, like, uh, more like six months. Yeah, yeah. No, more like 16 years, Jesus Christ. Um, it would be the time in the afternoon where they would be showing either Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure or Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. On, on ITV2 and so we'd be like oh Bill and Ted's on well I guess we can have lunch and just you know leave leave it on because it's at the scene where they're you know they're playing Twister with death and that's pretty funny um, and so we just kind of keep going like that um, and it was just always just such a great fun time movie to have on uh, it's just full of memories and there's not a cynical bone in the movie at all it's just um, just yeah, joy, shared joy that uh, you can have with with a parent, and uh, and it's it's so rewatchable and so quotable. You can watch it a dozen times, and it's not like oh god, you know. Uh, and that's kind of carried through the performances of Keanu Reeves and, and uh, I was going to call him Bill Winters, <laughs> Bill Withers, the Bill lovely Withers. day guy. I yes. don't think that's him. It's Alex Winter. Alex Winter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Funny yeah, how like, like, their, their careers went in quite opposite directions after these two movies. Well, I, yeah, with, with Alex Winter, he just went into other stuff, didn't he? He just kind of, he was on MTV and did, uh, oh, what's that movie called? There's a movie where he ends up becoming a circus freak. I think it might just be called Freaks. I have a feeling it's called Freaks. Wasn't that that weird movie we had to watch at uni about actual disfigured human beings in a circus and it was really kind of uh, disturbing? Possibly. There was also that other movie we had to... that Italian movie we had to watch at uni of people eating shit. Do you remember that one? <laughs> and that was probably in the same module, by the sounds of it. Uh, yes, I think it was. It was, the, um, it was we spent hours talking about why it is that you would not be disgusted by poop when it's inside you, but suddenly it's outside you and it's gross. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That was worth five. Is the film uh, the film you're t- <laughs> yeah? Is the film you're thinking of called Freaked? Freaked, yes. I think that's I'm looking right. it up now. Freaked, yes. Yeah. Where where Alex Winters plays the main the main guy. It's like a direct spin off of his MTV kind of series. But Keanu Reeves plays uh, has an uh, an un uh, fucking hell uncredited. What's it Uncredited. Thank you. What is wrong with me today? Uh, Keanu Reeves has an uncredited role as like a dog man in the movie, um, and it's like it's full on uh, Alex Winter's humor, where it's all kind of surreal and crazy. Um, and then after that, he just kind of went off in his own direction and did directing roles, production roles, things behind the scenes. And Keanu Reeves got really fucking lucky when The Matrix came out. I mean, before that. 
The nineties was quite, oh. pretty good to him. Speed was a huge hit. Yeah, but he was kind of a joke before the Matrix. Right? Yeah, where, yeah, I suppose. Where he he transitioned into those action roles, but it was still kind of like, oh look, there's the stoner guy on the bus, or there's the stoner guy surfing. surfing with it. it was, yeah. It, yeah, it wasn't until the Matrix where it was like, oh, he is. Like nobody, everyone was judging him on his past roles when he was doing more serious stuff. Whereas the Matrix, like, completely reevaluated his performances. I think. Yeah. And then nobody thought of him as as Ted. After that, everyone thought of him as Neo. And if everyone's going to think of you for something, that's a pretty good way to go. Kung Fu Super Jesus. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, what do you think of of Bill and Ted? Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is one of my favourite films of all time. I would put it in mm-hmm. my top ten, my personal top ten. I absolutely love it. Uh, I watched it tons when I was a kid, and it was something I considered for my list actually. But it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really strike anything in terms of with, with my dad. Um, and I loved Excellent Adventure. I've seen it a bunch of times, and I never ever watched Bogus Journey. I just never did. And I watched Bogus Journey eventually when I was an adult, probably in my twenties. And was just bummed out by it because it wasn't oh. it wasn't like Excellent Adventure. It was its own thing and it went in a whole different direction and that displeased me at the time. So I haven't seen it since then. Probably for ten years. And um I with the new one coming out, it's something that I want to go back and revisit before I watch Face the Music. But um yeah, Bill yeah, and Ted as I... a as a as a duo, uh, a key formative seminal, you might say, in my life. Yeah. They're, they are so instantly likeable as characters. And what's, what's so good about them as a double act, in comparison to a later movie that I'm going to bring up on my list, is that these characters are the same character, right? It's not like other buddy movies whereby one of them's straight-laced and one of them's a maverick who doesn't play by the rules. In, in this case, they're essentially interchangeable like bill is a little bit more up together ted is a little bit more of an of an airhead like bill kind of makes their plans and they just kind of go along with it like but that's kind of it um like bill seems to be kind of the leader of the duo but not really because he's not like uh he'll be like Come on, Ted. And Ted would be like, oh, remember when you asked your mum to prom? <laughs> and he'll be like, come on, Ted. Like, like that. Shut up, Ted. Yeah, but he doesn't... Um... They're both reliant on each other, right? They're, they're, they're symbiotic. You couldn't That's remove the word, one yeah. of them yeah, and, and place them in another, another thing. Again, the soundtrack's so good. We can't go past all of this without mentioning George Carlin as, as Rufus oh, is just... Yeah. Ruf, yeah, yeah. Rufus was always. I always loved Rufus when I was a kid, but I had no idea who George Carlin was. And then when mm. I, as I got older, I found out there's this comedian called George Carlin, and I delved into his stuff, and I loved a lot of his his stand up. Actually, formed or helped me form a lot of my own opinions and philosophies and stuff. Um, and then it was <laughs> some way down the line after that that I re- realised that he was the same guy from Bill and Ted yeah, and I was like holy yeah. shit it's him and he's not just the guy from Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back who goes down on a trucker in order to get a <laughs> order to get a ride like in terms of his movie roles I've, what I think is really amazing about George Carlin as Rufus is that 
he's only in each movie for like five minutes at the most. Like he's barely in them, but he's such an iconic character anyway. And that kind of comes from just how cool George Carlin is yeah. with the whole thing. Like he's iconic, even though he's, he's he turns up, here's the phone box, and then he's gone until the end, where he comes back and goes, "Good job, guys. Here's your guitar." And it's and that's essentially that's. Doesn't it. he pop up in the middle somewhere? Just like he, this he your... pops up for the the cycle, the cycle through. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah, which is what we spoke about in our previous episode of Neon Genesis Evangelion, um, in terms of narrative maths. Rufus is the perfect narrative maths character. He's the Swedish-made penis and larger pump from Austin Powers. Yes, that is perfect. He is. Yes, you have to put him in it the correct number of times because that Swedish-made penis and larger is the iconic gag from that first Austin Powers movie. Yeah. Um, and Rufus is likewise the, the the most iconic character outside of, of Bill and Ted themselves, of course. But, yeah, definitely. With all these historical figures that they surround themselves with. I, yeah, I would agree. Rufus is is the more iconic. Yeah, yeah. Is there any scene from that? Because even on our Austin Powers episode, we brought up Bill and Ted quite a few times. I think. Yeah. Oh, I I need to that, say something. Oh, God, I need to say something, say something about our Austin Powers one. You know, in in our Austin Powers uh, discussion, I brought up. Uh, Mike check the podcast with Cam and Alexi and I said uh you know how I felt bad I couldn't I couldn't talk about the movie without paying homage to them first off so after we did our podcast on Austin Powers I listened back to the Mike check episode on Austin Powers and there is a whole discussion from that podcast that Cam and Alexi have where they say if I was to go back to high school and do my drama performances again I would want to do the interview scene from, uh, sorry, the, the group therapy scene from from Austin Powers. No way. And I I listened back and I was like, oh my god, what have I done? Because I haven't listened to that podcast for like three years, right? But three years ago, I listened to that and somewhere in the back of my head thought, oh, that would be fucking great. And now I carried that with me for three years, like a kind of sleeper agent. Right, like yeah. some kind of subconscious opinion that I'd made up on my own. So then when we discussed it, I was like, wouldn't it be great if you could do that? Um, but the, the Bill and Ted, the end of Bill and Ted is all mine. Nobody ever said that. I said that. That's mine. <laughs> but the Austin Powers one, the, the saying that I, I wish I could do the interview scene for, uh, I have to throw it down. I'm a fucking thief, Dave. I'm an intellectual thief. But accidentally I, and, and good naturedly. I don't know. I think even if you accidentally steal intellectual property, you still go to prison for it. Well, I wouldn't call someone's idea or, you know, or proposition to be intellectual property. I don't know. Great minds can can think alike. No, but I didn't think of... I directly... Anyway, so apologies to Cam and Alexi. That was completely unintentional. If I had re-listened before Austin Powers, I wouldn't have mentioned it. But I deliberately didn't listen to it again because I didn't want to bring up any of the stuff that they said. I didn't want to be (laughs) steal from them, right? But if I had done, I wouldn't have mentioned it. So hands up, apologies. But as we mentioned in the Austin Powers one, um, the end of Bill and Ted is like the greatest um, crescendo to a movie like this, where it's just rock and roll awesome, where they give their big, um, their history report. 
and it's just every, you see that the characters have grown more important the characters have learned um and these dumb guys who thought that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife have <laughs> now uh now give an entire speech about how she revolutionized the the French military to to roust the English from France and um yeah it's awesome just really awesome feel good just so feel good yeah beautiful yeah did um did you and your dad have a favorite um figure from history from Bill and Ted or were they the, were they the same person? I oh in terms of our favorite characters, I mean it might even end up in Bogus Journey, in being Death was our favorite character, and then also uh, Ted's dad, who was someone we were gonna bring up in terms of daddy issues for. Ted's relationship with his dad is a daddy issues uh, character yeah, all on his own. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we had kind of thought about doing an episode, a whole episode about it. Um, but specifically, there's a bit in, uh, in Bogus Journey where um, Bill and Ted have been killed by their evil robot, Usses. Yeah. Right? They're, they're the evil robot versions of them threw them off the cliff from... Uh, Star Trek where Captain Kirk fights the Gorn they're watching it on TV and then they get they capture the real Bill and Ted and drive them out into the desert to throw them off the rock so they throw them off the rock like Captain Kirk fighting the Gorn um, and then they, Bill and Ted become ghosts and they're trapped in limbo so to try and communicate that their girlfriends are in danger from the evil robots um, <laughs> I love this movie I love that movie <laughs> Um, Bill and Bill and Ted, their ghosts, embody the spirits uh, of. What what's the, what's the word where a ghost goes into a body, and takes possesses. Possessed. Thank you. Where uh, Ted possesses the body of his father, the police captain, and tries <laughs> to warn tries to warn all of the other police officers that there's something terrible going on. So the actor who's playing. Uh, who's playing Ted's dad, now has to pretend to be uh, 20-year-old Keanu Keanu Reeves as Ted, (laughs) yeah, in his body trying to be him. And when they do, like, the excellent... The excellent! Um, Yeah, they do it, but it plays, like, soft jazz when his possessed dad does it rather than heavy metal. It's like... It's great. It's great. Just, like, a really well-thought-out gag perfectly executed by um by the actor who plays ted's dad and that was like yeah another great uh uh just joke that we we used to really love going um going back and forward uh in terms of the historical figures i don't know they're all so good um i don't know if i yeah i don't know if we if i could pick one out that that me and dad would go to but what's your favorite of the initial group i always loved genghis khan the most when i was a kid yeah he was yeah. just the most fun and yeah chaotic. Mm-hmm. I loved him, and then I also loved Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Um, I think me and my brother actually enjoyed Abraham Lincoln because we found out through that movie when the, all the historical figures get arrested, and um, Abraham Lincoln gives his birthday. He's like, and, and it's Ted's dad who's um, interrogating him. He's like, "When's your birthday?" He's like, "June 12th. and he goes to write it down, and he goes, "1809." <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that's when me and my brother looked at each other and went. <gasps> That's that's your birthday. My brother's birthday is is, is February. Did I say June? It's February twelfth. Um, yes. And yeah, so I kind of have that stuck in my mind. And I actually have a T-shirt um, of it's um, of the head of the Abraham Lincoln from Bill and Ted with a speech bubble that says "Be excellent to each other." 
and it's yeah. one of my favorite things and be excellent to each other is one of my favorite sort of adages from any yes. movie and i think that applies the the, the following line i could take or leave mm-hmm. be excellent to each other and dot 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 party on dudes yeah. like that that part is is fine that's fun but that kind of almost takes away from the actual poignancy of the first part like that that is i imagine i'm not i don't remember bogus journey but that is kind of the the philosophy that leads to a global utopia that Bill and Ted kind of mm-hmm. lead the world to. Just be excellent to each other. I think that's really yeah. for for what's essentially a, a like we talked about in Austin Powers, um, smart dumb comedy. It's such it's a really like nice sentiment. Yes, and it's what separates Bill and Ted from like stoner comedies, like I don't know, like Pineapple Express or something, where the characters are not overly dissimilar in in concept um it's like they're they're too stoned out to just be in the regular but bill and ted it's not that they're stupid um it's just that similar to austin powers again they are who they are and they don't want to compromise they can't compromise on who they are for anybody else because they are who they are and that's why they gravitate towards each other so much because, and why I think Bill and Ted 3 did such a great job, because it could have been so easy to have just gone, well, now they're older, so here they are wearing business suits, right, and working, uh, working, you know, working a job in sales, but really they want to make rock and roll. You know, they could have gone in that direction, but they don't. It's like the characters never compromise, because they, they can't. They can't change who they are, and they wouldn't want to even, even if they, you know, even if they could, they wouldn't want to. Um, and the, it's that purity. The characters are so pure. Um, and uh, the real, I, or I agree with you. Be excellent to each other is something I would definitely get tattooed. I need to get a Bill and Ted tattoo at some point. It's on my, it's on my list. Um, and be excellent to each other is, is high up on that list. But I really enjoy the addition of Party On because... It's it's not just be good to other people, right? It's it's be be excellent to each other, which is such a, a specific choice of words as well. Be excellent to each other. But then the partying is like it's also don't be so serious yeah. about about everything, right? It's like be excellent to each other and then just fucking have, have a, a great good time, time. Yeah. while you're at it, right? It's not it's not like um you have to be very careful with what you say to other people because you can't offend anyone, right? You have to show everyone the utmost respect. And if you say the wrong word, then you throw, you know, then you throw your entire career. It's like, don't treat other people excellently. And then fucking go get drunk and listen to music because that is where the unity comes from, right? The unity comes from uh, treating each other as we all deserve and then all having fun and... Uh, you know, learning that we all want to have fun. We're all we all want to party. We don't want to be so serious and take the world. Uh... And it's like like when you see Genghis Khan just like having fun. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's like that. That's the joy of the movie. Is is that those characters taken out of out of place? They're serious characters like Abraham Lincoln. You take him out of place, and then he becomes... He's a party monster by the end of the movie. Because the, the, the joy is infectious. Yeah. Like the, the joy of Bill and Ted is infectious. He's running through a shopping mall from security and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. No, it's my hat. That bit, the yeah, photographer. Give me back okay, the top hat. Like, no, it's mine. Yeah, give me the. You give me the stupid beard. It's my beard. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's great. Okay, that's enough about Bill and Ted for now. Otherwise, we'll keep talking about this for another two hours because they're so great and we won't do any of the other playlists. So um, it's your turn, Dave. What's what's up and what's the first on your okay, list? Okay, well, I'll do, I'll do the same thing as you and I'll reveal through the background of our Skype call. Oh my God, what's my first be? pick? And bearing in mind that well, what we talked about at the beginning, um, I'm going to go for a, one, of, one of my fun picks first and foremost foremost <laughs> that's cool prepare for the ice age the temperature's heading down freezing my tail off well how do we know it's an ice age because of all the ice and the whole world's heading south Get off me! Except for misfits going the other way. I'm not going. Who are about to discover something that brings them together. We should return him. If you're looking for the humans, you're never going to reach them before the past closes up with snow. Now they're looking out for the kid. From now on, refer to me as Lord of the Flame. Hey, Lord of the Flame. Your tail's on fire. And everyone else better look out for them. I actually thought you were going to eat me. I don't eat junk food. Ice Age. So, Dave, you seem to have chosen... The animated film Ice Age. 2002's first of the series, Ice Age, yes. Why? <laughs> okay, well, a little bit of backstory about, um, very briefly, about my dad and movies. And my dad's the sort of person that would claim that movies aren't really his thing. Like, they're not really something he'd gravitate towards. But he was unfortunate in that movies ended up being the primary um, way we spent family time as, as we were growing up. And my mum is big into movies and uh, maybe through her or maybe I've come to it on my own, but I'm a, obviously a big movie person too, so is my brother. So my dad's always kind of been begrudgingly forced to sit down and watch family movies with us. And I'm sure we, um, we uh, you know, sort of uh, forced him to watch a lot of crap that he hated every second of. But there was a, there are a few that... He would, um, or for example, The Simpsons, and then we're not, this is not a movie, uh, uh, not The Simpsons movie, but The Simpsons TV show. We would sit down and watch that all the time. And whenever he'd walk into the room or he'd say, so what are we watching? And we'd be like, we're going to put on The Simpsons. He'd groan. Be like, oh. Oh, that, yeah, as, that's, what, that's what my mum is like. Yeah. Like, like, Every time I want to watch The Simpsons, mum was like, oh, I've seen this one. Fuck off. I want to watch The Simpsons. <laughs> well, even back then when it was on TV and we're, we were in the midst of the golden age of The Simpsons. Mm. He like it was a cartoon to him. It was childish. It was beneath him. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't up to his, I don't know, up to his tastes. But then we watched The Simpsons, and he would be the one laughing harder than anyone in the room. Like Homer would do something yeah. funny, and he'd be like slapping his knee and like falling out of his chair laughing, and that would make us laugh more because he was the one who kind of was dour about it in the beginning, and then when you see somebody like that cracking up at something it makes it even funnier for, for everyone else. And, and Ice Age is another one like that, where on the surface, it was just, you know, the latest 3D animated kids movie. But then he would laugh so hard at this movie. And there are just perfect, there are just, uh, sorry, particular 
scenes and moments that really stick in my head. The even the, the first time we saw it, when I must have been, let's do a quick maths. I was been about fifteen. So I suppose even at fifteen, this film was a bit young for me. But we, like I say, we watched all, all the films we could. Yeah, it's a it's a family film. Yeah, it's a family yeah. film. Yeah, my brother would have yeah. been a bit younger, like twelve. Um, but there's a bit fairly near the beginning. I don't know how much of, you, of Ice Age you remember, but this will set the tone for the rest of the movie, as it turns out. Where um, there, there's a, there's an ice age coming, and all these all the mammals are migrating away from the colder climates to go somewhere warmer, and they're all like in a massive um, sort of like a parade. Uh, all these different creatures traveling, and there, there are these two like sort of shell uh, shelled looking like armadillo looking things trotting along, and one of them's like, "Where's?" Kevin, or whatever the hell the guy's name is. Oh, he said he was on the verge of some kind of evolutionary breakthrough. And then in the background, you see another one of these armoured creatures running off a cliff going, I'm flying! And then he just falls and just disappears out of sight. And then one of the original two goes, some breakthrough. And that my dad just died laughing at that. <laughs> he thought it was the funniest thing. And again, like... When you go, even at that age, when you we went into watching a movie and we knew that he was a bit like, oh yeah, all right, fine. You're kind of a little bit on edge, <laughs> thinking if Dad doesn't enjoy no, this, yeah, then we're not yeah, going to enjoy yeah. it. Yes, yeah, you, like, th- that tension of if the if the authority figure in the room isn't on board, we're all going to be able to just feel the vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then uh, that must be three or four minutes into the movie he's dying mm-hmm. laughing and then the whole room just goes okay this is going to be a oh, fun yeah. evening oh, then. Thank God. we're yes. all even if even if he had sat we'd all sat there laughing and enjoyed it and he sat there looking grumpy or reading a magazine um which he would do sometimes if he really wasn't feeling the movie um, but the fact that he was into it and he was laughing like it really was a real joyous feeling and um it was funny actually when we went to what uh, see his parents um some years after ice age first came out and we never watched films with our grandparents on either side, to be honest. Like, neither of them, I neither set were very film people. They wouldn't watch movies. But we had a lot of cousins around, a lot of kids, a lot of adults, different ages. So, and we bought our VHS copy of Ice Age and stuck it on. <laughs> yeah. And I remember my grandma laughing like I'd never heard her laugh before at that very same bit that my dad found hilarious in the first few minutes. And it's been, and that's just like this real, like, beautiful, joyous moment where. We're all, all we're all sat around, kids and adults all together, what around the TV, and Grandma is laughing her head off, and the whole room is just enjoying the the vibe. So it's there's it's um so yeah that's it's a real real happy f- memory in itself, just the film and it in its existence. Um, there are other moments in it too that he found really funny, the dodos when oh, they're, yeah. they're yeah. trying to get a watermelon for the little baby and the dodos are in the, uh, the, the, the I it's this is one of those things that will be missed on kids uh, sorry lost on kids but the fact that the dodos are the most like militaristically <laughs> prepared for the ice age and uh, yeah. uh, the ones who are fighting hardest to avoid extinction as if they're like conspiracy theorists everyone else is like it's yeah. just a bit of weather and they're like nope it's a coming of an ice age multiple species are going to be wiped out but we're not going to be one of them and the fact that it's a dodo and is just mm. really funny. And um, yeah, the whole scene with them, um, they're trying to get this last watermelon because the dodos have in- inadvertently destroyed all of their stocks and trying to protect it so far hard. And it's like slow-mo thing of Sid running with a watermelon like it's an American football and just like 
palming off these dodos and <laughs> getting to the end and then he does a little touchdown dance in front of the in front of uh, Manny and and Diego and the little baby and then slams it to the ground in celebration it just explodes <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll just look at him like ah Sid <laughs> yeah things like that that my I dad mean, would I... just would find so funny and it's it's you're, you're absolutely right about the weird thing about if an authority figure in the room is enjoying it 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 allays the tension and that i've been mm-hmm. in situations where watching movies with friends as well where especially movies that i suggested to the group yes. and that there's definitely sort of an alpha figure in the group someone that if he thinks the film is shit or laughable or laughably bad then that's going to affect the whole room and everyone's going to know that because this person thinks that way that we shouldn't we can't really enjoy it because this person's opinion for some reason matters more than anybody else's and um it's gone either way and so yeah sometimes like i've i I took um the green hornet the seth rogan movie round to watch with some friends when that came out on dvd and i really like that film i know it's been panned to shit and it's probably bad but i like it and um yeah just a moment in a fight scene where seth rogan gets like kicked through a window and this guy laughed more than anybody else and i was like okay we're gonna be fine because he's laughing at it and therefore everyone else will be able just to enjoy themselves and not be on edge it's a weird it's a weird phenomenon in social groups yeah yeah uh, yeah that weird vibe where uh, maybe it's just us as individuals there isn't a vibe but because we it's like when you uh, when you suggest a song as well and you're just kind of waiting to find out if everybody enjoys that song right and that, that tension you feel within yourself is like oh my god what if they didn't like it yeah, yeah i like hate that. that i really hate that like when someone asks me to yeah. suggest a song and there's a group of people who will hear it i i rack my brain and i really stress mm. about it yeah yeah ice age itself though um it's a daddy issues movie really it's Manny, yeah, it's three Manny men and a baby lost... but in the prehistoric yeah Earth, yeah. yeah, Manny. Manny has lost his uh, his child, his child, child his and his wife, or his his partner. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a. Tra- I'm sure there's a tragic story with Diego as well, isn't there? A similar. Uh, well, no. He's um, his family unit is uh, not so much. There is like a. He's part of a a pack of um, yeah, saber tooth tigers. The villainous. The villainous. Then they basically. The, the villains yeah but he kind of breaks away initially to be like i'm going to impress the alpha in the group by mm-hmm. getting this baby and we're all going to eat it and then he learns to not be a carnivore yeah. <laughs> his, his yeah, arc is yeah. weird it's like he, actually he's just behaving in his but by, by his yeah. instinct and in fact he learns to completely forego his wiring for the sake of a happy yeah. ending yeah. Well, again, the other the other villains, I guess, of the group are the humans who are trying to track down their baby, right? And they're not they're not the villains, but they are the threat to our characters, who are trying to protect this baby. Meanwhile, they're being tracked by the baby's father, right? It's, it's the other way. Like the the humans, they they know the ice age is coming, and they initially chase yes. the tigers to try and get their baby back. But then the baby goes over a waterfall. Yes. And, yes. And yeah, they give yeah, up. Yeah. They go, shit, we lost a baby. And then the parent figures are really sad and they make their Mm -hmm. way on this migration. And so, yeah, our heroes are trying to chase the humans. Meanwhile, they're Mm -hmm. being chased by saber-toothed tigers. Yes, yeah. Well, I remember the scene where you've got the... Well, I I just remember Manny being constantly attacked by absolutely everyone. Um, And it's like the the tigers want to eat him 
and I seem to remember the humans trying to want it on the, but I think the humans kill his uh, his his uh, partner and kid, right? Yeah, that they they on their journey they sort of stumble into a cave with cave paintings, and yes. there's I don't think it's just necessarily meant to be. This is what happened. This is a depiction of Manny's family, but yeah, it just shows yeah. humans hunting mammoths adults and babies and then and Manny's obviously reacting to it very emotionally and there's like mm. um echoey um ethereal um what's the what is the word for the sort of the sound that an elephant makes and a mammoth would make i don't know what the word is you know what i mean like like a whinny for a horse or a, or a yes. moo for a cow yes. whatever the word is for an elephant <laughs> that one yeah whatever yeah. the onomatopoeia is for that um, yeah. yeah, playing in the background, it's all kind of spooky, and his eyes glass over, and oh, mm. there, there's some, there's it's emotional. Some, there's some good emotional beats in in that film. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's also a UFO and a frozen dinosaur. I the, yeah, I do that. The bit where they see the UFO and the baby looks up at the UFO frozen in ice and does the live long and prosper thing. Yeah, I remember yeah. that's the moment I looked at my mum and was like, ah, Star Trek, because we both <laughs> like Star Trek. Um, so that, it had it had some mummy stuff in it too. Yeah, is Ice Age a DreamWorks, a DreamWorks one? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I can't remember which studio it is, but that's that's the kind of joke that would not be in a Disney or Pixar one. Yeah, right. They would never have a reference to an outside source like that within within the film, and they would never have a joke as surreal as oh, there is a, an alien frozen in uh, frozen in the ice. It's like such a fourth wall breaking moment but it's it's rare to have also something as beautiful as the um uh as the cave painting scene as the cave paintings come alive and yeah that's a really mm. a really great it's moment. actually i just looked it up it's um 20th century fox blue sky studios not right. too much yes yeah see that makes sense to me because the fact that they kept producing sequels as well which is again something that outside of toy story Pixar, Disney don't really do. They'll do the occasional ones, or they'll do straight to to VHS. But like, how long did we have to wait for The Incredibles two? Yeah, know, we had to wait. You know, and yeah, like you said, years. even Toy Story was what ninety five to ninety nine, then ninety nine to two thousand and what's Toy Story three eleven two thousand twelve. Yeah, like it's a long time between two and three. Like they yeah. they take their yeah. time. But yeah, Ice Age. There's been what five yeah, so like, far. Bam, bam, every couple bam, of years. Bam. Yeah, yeah. and they, that's the problem. They kind of lose the grasp of it as well because it's like uh, okay well what what's next right what what oh well, there are dinosaurs actually we found dinosaurs you know and it's that that the beauty and the simplicity of that first movie has had to become stretched out to that alien joke is now actually the story Right, like the joke was, oh, there's a dinosaur frozen in the ice, and then by the fourth movie, they're like, oh, well, actually, no, there are dinosaurs, and that's the main part of it, you know. And it's they've had to kind of reach them. They kept making money, yeah. um, and but uh, it doesn't take away from the joy and the beauty of that first movie that really does have some 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 great moments. In it. Yeah, simplicity is a is a great word for it. Actually, it is just it is a simple story done really well in that kind of pixar mold it's funny mm. and it has jokes for grown-ups but it has heart and has some yeah, themes there yeah. yeah and then often sequel syndrome takes over um yeah. but yeah that's i mean uh, just the last things i really have to say about ice age is my dad also loves scrat the squirrel trying <laughs> yeah. to always hide his nut and all his antics always cracked him up and um very much in the same way that for some reason 
and again, this is someone who would often see kids' films as being lowbrow or beneath him. The minions are the as he thinks are the funniest things in the world. Like he is. Is your dad just a physical comedy guy? He he does enjoy a slapstick thing. Yeah, like we. I sat mm. down. I got obsessed with Lee Evans in my teens, and I would sit down and put on Lee Evans DVDs for my mum and dad. Yeah, and the, some of the slapstick stuff would absolutely slay him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There we go. We found it. We just need to keep that physical stuff going. And <laughs> yeah. I can I can imagine your dad being the kind of person who would sit down to watch a Jim Carrey movie and find half of it absolutely unbearable. Right, with like the Jim Carrey character is like unbearable, but the slapstick moments would be really funny because they're just yeah. executed really well. You're right, actually. And Bruce Almighty would be the one that springs to mind. Yes. When he's when he's doing the over the top stuff, he he would find that funny. But then a lot of the sort of dialogue and the the more cruder stuff, like the stuff that yes. I nearly yeah. wet myself like with the the Steve Carell doing the news and 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 Bruce <laughs> is is retyping the auto cue, and yeah. then he makes him like fart and stuff. I guess it's fart humor, so of course that would make me laugh. But that's <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that my dad would be like, Ugh. roll his eyes at. But then yeah, I can't remember what are the really good. Um, slapsticky moments from from Bruce Almighty, like pulling in the moon, that kind of bit. Yeah, and like, like and like yeah. stripping yeah. where he puts his hands yeah, in the air and yeah. he goes woof, and all his clothes come yeah. off. Yeah, stuff yeah. like yeah. But yeah, I think maybe you've you've hit the nail on the head mm. there. It's the it's the physical stuff that yeah. it's it's hard. It's it's difficult to to not respond to. I think for anybody, yeah, it's universal. Isn't it's it? really I mean, that's why it's the cave painting thing. You know, like why the cave painting scene is so powerful is because it's devoid of that kind of language that makes things so specific like yeah it works absolutely. it works on an emotional level and the physical comedy is yeah why it's so strong and why it's so universal because like it's like in working in china everyone's like oh do you know mr bean do you know mr bean mr bean's the most famous english thing in the world and it's like oh it was pretty popular about 30 years ago i guess but like that's that's it for them right it's, it's mr bean because it's universal and yeah it's like you go, oh, yeah, you go oh yeah mr bean's good but have you seen blackadder they wouldn't fucking get blackadder for a hundred like within a hundred no, years that is no, such just, british yeah. humor blackadder but yeah, yeah bean is universal yeah. and that's why yeah. ron atkinson played mr bean at the olympics opening ceremony because yeah, yeah. everybody Everyone in the world knows, knows mr bean yeah, and yeah. this is oh, this is a jump ahead but only because we brought up mr bean he was going to be one of my honorable mentions in oh. being the ultimate disaster movie, his first feature, <laughs> the very beginning right. of that, where I don't know how much you remember of being the ultimate disaster movie. Um, the beginning of that, Mr. Bean is working as a security guard in a museum. And we, and we sort of enter the museum and we see him, but he's asleep on a chair and he's sort of rocking forward, like snoring loudly, obviously being a very poor security guard. And he very slowly in a very drawn out physical gag, he falls off the chair onto his knees and then onto his knees, his head then slowly um, starts nodding forward. And then his head is on the ground. And that's something else that my dad like absolutely <laughs> creased through. And I remember it vividly. And it's funnier to me because he found it so funny. Yes. Yeah. 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 It goes to show the power of atmosphere. Right? Having that atmosphere within the room. And yeah. And what that can do. Yeah. The joy that a, a, a positive atmosphere can bring in the movie. And it's why going to the cinema is so good. 
right? Because when you go, well, a good and it can occasionally be bad. Say you go to like rewatch, I don't know, like The Exorcist at the cinema. And it's like, you've said to everyone, um, this is like one of the scariest movies ever made. And then everyone in the movie is like, oh my God, look, it's so dated. Oh, the effects are so... Then it ruins the atmosphere of it, right? Yeah. But when you go to see a horror movie and everyone in the cinema is sat there like, oh, fuck. You can feel it, right? You can yeah. feel it. And the, and the same in a comedy. Feel. Yeah. The same in a comedy when everyone is into it. it yeah. Yeah, yeah it, you're right. I went to see to a, next level. a film that I wouldn't have gone to see really. And I think um, I went to see it with uh, an ex. Was uh, the Inbetweeners movie, mm-hmm. and it was packed. I've never seen a, a Cineworld in Ocean Village in Southampton, which has now disappeared. But that was a tiny cinema that no one ever went to except for us <laughs> at uni. Yeah. But for yeah. the Inbetweeners movie, the the premiere weekend, it was absolutely sold out, and the room was raucous like the the laughter of 300 people all at once it's mm. it's incredible it's powerful it completely you 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 forget anything that's happening outside of these four walls you're just you're in yes. it and you're sharing this experience with other people it's just such a weird communal infectious energy that travels between people it's it's amazing yeah yeah all anyway right. let's move shall we move let's on, move on to on to, your to my next one Okay, here we go. Lethal motherfucking weapon. He's a criminal's worst nightmare. A cop who enjoys the danger. No guns, no jujitsu, just bring him down. Do you really want to jump? Well, then that's fine with me. Come on. Wait, I what do you mean? Wait a minute. What the? He was ready to retire. Now, he's going to wish he had. Gun! Oh, oh, oh. Raj, meet your new partner. New partner? Too old for this. If these guys can just stand each other. What you got in there? Boy and Smith? A lot of old timers carry those. The bad guys don't stand a chance. Are you as good as you say you are? Nobody can touch me. Suppose we better register you as a lethal weapon. You ever met anybody you didn't kill? Well, I haven't killed you yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have one the of these boys. conversations about, like, of me going, your dad was so cool, he let you watch Lethal Weapon? I didn't watch Lethal Weapon <laughs> until about four years ago, the first time. Was that the first time you were allowed? Was it because you see boobies in like the first two minutes of the film? Oh, they're, they're not boobies. hanging around. But there is this boobies. like the, that kind of uh, 90s boobies that were you could see in like a 12? Because for some reason that was okay. It's no, like, no, there's, there's like some full on, full on nudity. Is there? Just before, just before she gets murdered. Yeah, the, the very beginning. Full frontal? She, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because she's supposed to be like a, a, a coked out porn star. Oh, charming! So, yeah, no wonder I wasn't. I was not allowed to watch this movie. Oh, what's her name? Is it Lisa Huntsacker? I think I'm gonna have to IMDb it to make sure. No, I don't want the fucking Lethal Weapon TV series. For God's sake, why would I want that? This is ridiculous. Sorry, I don't. I don't have time for for TV adaptations. Starring Damon Wayans Jr. Oh, well, absolutely not. Amanda Huntsacker. 
Yes, Amanda Huntsacker is the uh, the the poor woman who has, uh, well, potentially being framed and uh, murdered. Um, framed and murdered. Yes. Gosh. It's a very it's a very complicated plot. How much do you remember of the plot of Lethal Weapon One? Nothing. Okay. Okay, so there was this thing called the Vietnam War. <laughs> You've gone back too far. <laughs> and it was it was about like twenty years before this movie came out. And during the Vietnam War, there was this young renegade kid who wasn't good at much, but what he was good at was killing. He was so good at killing that he should have been registered as a... Lethal weapon. That's right. That's why it's called Lethal Weapon. There you go. Oh, is it? Oh, there you go. That makes yes, some sense. Yes, because there's, there's a bit where, where uh, Danny Glover's like, oh, you're all into that karate jujitsu shit. You should have your hands registered as a lethal weapon or something like that. So uh, so the movies are Riggs movies then. He's the protagonist and Murtar is just a side character. Well, Dave, you would think that, but no. I mean, I know that it's not. I know it's a buddy movie, but then they named the movie after only one of the characters. That's a bit unfair. <laughs> well, yes, I suppose that's true. But it, it is, this movie is called Lethal Weapon. Like, it's not called Lethal Weapons. So... <laughs> the... <laughs> yeah, I think it should be. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm renaming the entire thing. Anyway, so, in the, in the Vietnam War... Martin Riggs, played by Mel Gibson before we all knew who he really was, because it should also be pointed out that the Lethal Weapon movies are, like, super progressive. In the second one, the whole movie is them fighting the South Africans over apartheid, right? And in, in the first Lethal Weapon, on uh, Murtard, on Danny Glover's fridge, there's, like, end apartheid things all over the place. It's like a, the whole movie is, like, anti-racism propaganda, basically. Um... And uh, then we later found out that Mel Gibson is kind of a, a weird racist, which I tend to ignore in this because the movie has some pretty positive stuff about race. And anyway, um, uh, Riggs was sent over to Vietnam to fight and he was like special forces. He was he was the only person who could shoot someone like a mile away in super high winds. He was just the, the only thing I was ever good at was killing people, he says, something like that. Or he, sa he says, no, he says... I'm just really good at it, you know? And Glover's like, what? It's like, killing. It's like, oh my God. Such a tragic character, Dave. The only thing he could do was kill, but he was really good at killing. So he was special forces. And while he was there, there were these other special forces groups uh, led by Mitchell Ryan with Gary Busey. And and they they didn't they knew of each other, right? Because they were both influential, but they weren't... Um, uh, they they didn't work with one another. But after the Vietnam War, and this is true, uh, the CIA and Special Forces people used their, their connections within Vietnam to bring back heroin and drugs to the US, which they then sold illegally and profited off of their connections from Vietnam, which is a real thing that happened. And that's kind of the story of, of this, is these, these Special Forces people um, are bringing in drugs from Vietnam to sell in the, in, in the, uh, in the United States. And... Uh, Danny Glover was also just a, was a regular soldier in Vietnam. And when he was fighting there, he served with a guy called Michael Huntsacker. 
Michael Hunsaker's daughter, Amanda Hunsaker, gets caught up in the wrong business to do with these drugs that are being brought in. And Michael Hunsaker now works at the bank. At the bank, he launders the money of the people bringing in the drugs from Vietnam. When Michael Hunsaker says, this is wrong, I don't want to do it anymore, they murder his daughter, Amanda Hunsaker. And then, which is when he, before, just before she dies, uh, Michael Hunsaker calls Murtar, played by Danny Glover, and says, something bad's going down and I need your help. But he, Danny Glover doesn't get the call, he's too busy. So Amanda Hansacker's murdered, Murtar is put on the case, and then this new renegade uh, partner is brought in. And Murtar's like, oh, it's my 50th birthday today, I'm an old man, I'm too old for this shit. And then in comes this fucking, oh my god, this guy's trying to kill himself, he's always trying to get psycho pension, he's a loose unit, he's a lethal weapon. How are Murtar and Riggs going to stop these heroin-selling Special Forces soldiers? I'll tell you how, because it's a fucking awesome movie, <laughs> that's how. Wow. So you've got some feelings about this. I love Lethal Weapon. People say, oh, Die Hard's the best... Oh, suck a dick, Die Hard's <laughs> the best Christmas movie. Lethal Weapon's the best Christmas Lethal movie. Lethal Weapon's a Christmas it's got, movie? Yeah, it starts with... Uh... Well, Shane Black, isn't it? Shane Black wrote that yes. and then sold it. Oh, yeah, it. Shane Black... It, this is the first movie, the first script to ever be sold for more than a million dollars. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you're goddamn right it is. This it is the tightest movie. You know those movies where you're like, oh shit, not a, not a beat was written there. It's why Captain America The Winter Soldier is the best MCU movie. Because you watch it and you're like, oh that's tight. There was nothing was wasted in that film. And Lethal Weapon's like that as well. It's a well-oiled machine. And everybody plays their part to perfection. That's it. That's the, uh, I'm, not, I'm not even going to say anything about my dad. I was going to say, are, we, talk- are we getting yeah. to that? Your, yeah. But- your dad has heard of Lethal Weapon. Next. <laughs> yes. All right, let's see. <laughs> no, so Lethal Weapon, again, was a movie that I would watch with my dad, but this was not an afternoon movie. Oh, no. David. No, this was an evening movie, late night, well, probably late night, about 10 p.m., you know, in, in uh, these days. It would have been uh, 10 p.m., Lethal Weapon, Ham and Pineapple Pizza, or pancakes. I mean, I could. Yes, and that would be would be cooking cooking big plates of pancakes to sit down and watch Lethal Weapon and just all Lethal Weapon two as well again because they're both just fucking brilliant. Um, when does Joe Pesci the, come in? Is that two or three? The second one. That's second the second one. one. He comes in comes in quicker than you think. Actually, he seems like the kind of character that would have appeared later on but it's an interesting departure from for joe pesci because the lethal weapons 87 so the second one must be 90 or 91 which is like the same year that goodfellas came out so oh, yeah. in in goodfellas he's like the world's most intimidating character and then in lethal weapon he's like oh my god i'm the annoying guy i'm the annoying comedy relief it's such a weird yeah he had this weird spate didn't he in the 90s of doing comedies yeah And I think we should do the Pesci podcast, where we sit down and watch the works of Joe Pesci. (laughs) Are they funny or are they intimidating? We'll we'll, we'll bring it up next time. Interesting pitch. Yes. Uh, But just just Lethal Weapon, man. Like, if you forget all the, you know, forget what Mel Gibson has, you know, has done or said or, you know, become recently, and you just look at him as he was there, where he is hot shit. He is... That's prime Gibbo. 
oh my god, his performance is amazing. He is sexy as fuck. Um, it's just a Danny Glover is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Because you're right in that Riggs is like the action protagonist of the movie, but Danny Glover is the soul of the film, right? The film is Danny Glover's a dad. With his, he's got his family, he's got his daughter, his, his wife, his his, uh, his other two kids. Um, and he's just turned 50. It's his 50th birthday. He's becoming an old man. You know, he's got grey in his hair because 50 was old, by the way, in 1987. <laughs> it's so old, he's about to retire. Um, he's getting too old for this shit. Um, but the, he's the heart and soul of this film because it's all about his family. Right, the whole movie is about his family and Mel Gibson being on his own. And Danny Glover has everything that he could want, right? And he's he's content with his life. He's happy with his job. He loves his wife. He loves his children. He's got everything. And his partner comes in and has nothing. And it's about how Mel Gibson finds his place within uh, within the film. And you know how when people talk about The Fresh Prince, the, the Will Smith sitcom the fresh prince they'll say oh it's really amazing that what that that film did was it gave positive role models for african-americans that showed actually a, an affluent african-american family as well and it dealt with issues of race and uh like uh scenes uh like episodes where um where uncle phil who was who was a judge has to essentially confront the fact that even though he is a judge and they have wealth and they have all of this stuff uh, race still plays an important factor within their lives, right? But it, the point of it was that um, it was showing an alternate version of what had been popularized with African American, uh, you know, with African Americans in in culture at the time. And Lethal Weapon is a movie that that, that does exactly that. It's a positive African American uh, family relationship as depicted in one of the biggest movies of the decade. And it was, you know, Danny Glover is uh, is a great dad. He's got a like uh, he's on the force with other African on the police force with other African Americans, and it shows them acting you know, professionally until Mel Gibson is like, "If you want to do this, we're gonna have to throw the book out." And Mel Gibson is the one who comes in and says, "The police are too held back by, by you know by the book. If we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it my way." And for some reason, he's got a giant machine gun, and you know, because he's Mel Gibson. I think but, yeah, he probably just brought that to set one day. I was like, "Can this be in the movie?" Yeah, yeah. But the Murtagh, the Murtagh family uh, are just one of my all-time favourite movie families as well. They're, they are so perfectly written. The only thing that's like a little bit weird is that... It's, the, the problem is the saxophone. Because it's an 80s movie, there's lots of saxophone bits. Where it's like, um, Danny Glover's like, oh, I'm too old for this shit. And the saxophone's like, wah, 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 like that. <laughs> Um, but it also happens when, like, his daughter, uh, Rianne, Rianne is Rianne Murtagh, she, like, comes down the stairs in her prom dress, right? And she's, like, she, she's growing up, she's turning from a, from the girl that he raised into a young woman. Um, but she comes down, downstairs and she's wearing a prom dress and she looks beautiful. And Danny Glover's kind of like, oh my god, like, you know, how did that happen, right? How did she, how did this girl turn into this, this beautiful young woman? But the saxophone's like, why not? And so it went, wow. So it's kind of like, is he aroused by his daughter? Because that's kind of what the saxophone's telling me. But that's not what it is. It's just the 80s. It's, it's an 80s. It's, it's just the 80s. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. But again, it's 
it's a, another movie with a dad, right? With a dad looking after his family and like all of the, the, the heroin smuggling special forces commandos, like it's, it's the plot of the movie, but it's the Murtar family other film. And then the kind of the chaos that Riggs brings in. And Murtar is too old for this shit. You know, he's ready to retire, but then in comes his new partner and it's an injection of, of life in, and, uh, can can they get along? Can they bloody do it? And let me tell you, they by the end of that movie, they've done it. They, they've they've done, done it. it. Yeah. And for me, that it's the epitome of the buddy, the buddy, not of course buddy cop, but that buddy comedy thing. It's what I've seen the opposite to Bill and Ted, where Bill and Ted are just the same character. Like Riggs and Murtar are completely opposites in in everything. Um. You know, even one is black and one is white. Like, literally, like, that's the poster, right? The, the, that's the selling point of the movie, is that these these are two cops, and they're even racially, they are different. But by the end of the movie, you're like, ah, they're the best. They're the best of what America has to offer, right? Like, what America has to offer is that we are, we are different. We're, it's the, the same as the LGBT rainbow flag, what it's supposed to represent. Right. The point of the LGBT rainbow flag is that each color in the rainbow is a different color. But the rainbow itself couldn't exist if you removed one of those colors away. Right. Each color is beautiful, but for the rainbow to exist, it exists together. And that's like what the American dream is supposed to be. Right. We are we are all different. We're not the same. But it's in our differences that we we find beauty and we find strength. And that's what Lethal Weapon is all about. You find your, your beauty in our differences, and then you fucking kick ass. This is your bachelor's degree in film studies essay. I'm bringing it back. I'm yeah. bringing it back. I'm going yeah, to do a master's in film, and the entire thing is going to be Lethal Weapon and the LGBT rainbow flag. Yeah. Our differences make us beautiful. That's an engaging yeah. topic, yeah. No yeah. doubt. Well, anyway, well that was just, that, this was an excuse for me to talk about how amazing Lethal Weapon is for like <laughs> for like ten minutes. Um, but yeah, it was just a great movie with Dad to uh, to watch together because it's just so much fun as well and so quotable. Like that, I'm getting too old for this shit. Is just like again another line that me and Dad will just just use forever. Um, it's just yeah, perfect, perfect film, and it was also really fun to watch because my dad was around this. Murtar's age when we started watching the film together so they were both around kind of around 50 but Murtar is supposed to be like ancient at this point like 50 is like oh my god he's so old it's, everyone's saying yeah. how old he is whereas now 50 is like fucking nothing yeah like it's yeah it's crazy how how perceptions of age have changed yeah yeah no doubt did you see them as a you know uh, the Super Bowl was fairly recently and Tom Brady with the Buccaneers won again and he's like 42 or whatever 43 and there's mm-hmm. a picture of Tom Brady like um, being for, in your 40s and being a professional football player is in, kind of insane and he is the captain yeah. America of American football he just keeps going on and he's still great it's like the, the Cristiano Ronaldo of, of uh, compared to, to the, the soccer player but um, mm-hmm. there's a picture of Tom Brady at 42 looking like Captain America peak physical condition human specimen and there was a photo of a, a previous quarterback from the 1970s who's also played until he was 42. And he looks about 60. Yeah, right. Like 40 years ago, 40 years old was old. Like your, your body, yeah. your skin, 
and your organs were given up. <laughs> but here's, yeah, it's 2021. And now if you're 42, you're in your prime. Like you, you've never been better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how those things have changed. And yeah, so to, just to quickly go back to the, the lethal weapon and, and race stuff. It's not like the movie is glazing over anything in terms of race either. Um, I suppose well, but when you get to the second one, it's literally the entire thing is about race because it's about the the apartheid. And um, of course, if we're going to talk about quotable lines, you've got the, your two main lethal weapon lines are "I'm too old for this shit" and "diplomatic community." <laughs> oh yeah, I do remember is, that. Yes, diplomatic community has just been revoked, says Danny Glover. <laughs> Bam. Bam! So yeah, my memories of these films are hazy because I had never seen them before until I watched all four of them in one day about four or five oh, years ago. No. So I don't really remember much of each any individual movie. I tell you what, once, way to do once it. no, once we get out of here, or another thing we'll add to our list of things we have to do once you know once lockdown is finished. We're just going to watch Lethal Weapon one and two. We don't need to do the third and, and the fourth one. They're like they're, they're they're okay. The fourth one was Jet Li's first ever American performance. Yeah, I, I was going to mention uh, Jet Li, but yeah, you know, I I am always I could bring up Jet Li in most conversations, so I'm trying to rein <laughs> it in. <laughs> oh, Jet Li, famous for the one. Jet Li's the one, yeah. Jet Li's the one, yeah. And Romeo Must Die, which is a movie I really want to watch. I, I love seen for it. Shall we? I love that movie. Shall we do a podcast of adaptations of Shakespeare movies that are like that uh, are modern retelling set in um, set in in dueling crime families involving martial arts and yes. uh, gunfights. Yes, and each one. So we'll we'll do like the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet with uh sure. with dicaprio then we could do romeo must die then we could there's got there's got to be like a hundred more there's got to be like a version of hamlet where it's like that we're in denmark but denmark is like denmark street and there's like different gangs on either side how about hamlet... a version of hamlet where one family is a pride of lions and another family is a pack of dirty hyenas oh my god i mean it's been done we've even <sighs> done it We've done it. You know, like Simpsons it. did it. It's like Daddy Issues did yeah. it. Daddy Issues did it. Oh, we need to start our Shakespeare Shakespeare podcast as well, <laughs> where we just go through reimaginings of Shakespeare plays. Anyway, another. Oh, we can do Shakespeare in Love as well. My mum was watching that the other day, and she's like, "Oh, I love this movie." And I was watching it like Ben Affleck as a medieval English man. Is Affleck in that one? Oh my god. Yes, he is. He plays Ned. Oh, what's his name? Kelly Flanders. Schlieb Schneebly. <laughs> Ned Schneebly. Ned Kelly's a nice reference, but not not as a, a medieval English person. Anyway, we're not talking about Shakespeare in Love. I think we've finished with Lethal Weapon. That was just an excuse for me to talk. But it's um, if I had my dad here to talk about it, it wouldn't be like, oh, do you remember the time that we've seen it? Because we've seen it so many times. Sure. Right. We've watched it so many times. It would be that it would be. Do you remember when this happened and this happened? And do you remember eating pancakes? And do you remember eating pizza? It's like this. It's the whole the whole yeah, deal. Yeah. It's like an event. Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, nice. I want to watch Lethal Weapon now. Yeah, sold it. <laughs> it didn't take much selling. I mean, Shane, Shane Black. And that's yeah, why Shane it Black has to be best. a Christmas movie, because every single film Shane Black has written has taken place yes. at Christmas. Yes. Including Predators. Is it, does no, it? The, the Predator. No, it doesn't. That is the worst movie I have ever seen. 
But not, let's not get into that. Come on. <laughs> I, generally, I'm a big Shane Black fan because yeah, of the weapon. Yeah, but the Predators can go fuck itself. Well, there's Kiss Kiss a... Bang Bang and the last oh, Boy Scout movie. and yeah, Iron Man yeah. 3. I mean, I, I don't oh, know. My least, that's my least favourite. That's my least favourite on that list, rewrite, for sure. Yeah, he did rewrites of the, the previous Iron Man scripts as well, yeah. which is why they gave him Iron Man 3. So, yeah, anyway... Right, your one. We're not talking My about turn. Shane Black right now. Okay. We'll do the Shane Black podcast after we do the Shakespeare one. <laughs> Alright, here we go. Here's the big reveal. Wow, cool. On the 13th minute of the 13th hour the 13th Apollo mission was launched. A million things could have gone wrong. Our next broadcast will be from the surface of the moon. On April 13th, one did. Uh, Houston, we have a problem. We never lost an American in space. We're sure as hell not gonna lose one on my watch. Apollo 13. So, you know what, Dave? It's one of my top two favourite Apollo missions and <laughs> one of my favourite Apollo movies. Well, how could it not be? But yeah, um, What's I, your favourite Apollo mission? Uh, 11? That's the good one. That's If you're going to pick one, that's probably the tippity top. I know, I mean, yeah. that's why it's the only other one I've heard of. So. Yeah. Or at least the only other one I remember. Well, what happened to Apollo's 1 to 10? Maybe they didn't go very far. They didn't. Apollo 1 blew up. So they uh, they got rid of the next 9 in honour of the first one. They jumped straight to Apollo 11. Did they? Because the first one, yeah, yeah. Go straight into double digits. Yes. After To honour the memory of, uh, of those horrible people. Well, not horrible people. Horrible pe- Lovely those people. Horrible Amazing, people wonderful people. Those brave, those brave people who died in a horrible way, is yes. what I wanted to say. Well, yeah. segueing nicely from that. It does, because <laughs> the Apollo missions are just fraught with tragedy as, as space travel is you yeah know, there's, of course as, as amazing as the successes have been tragedy is just as abundant of course it's still in its infancy so you know they'll be looking back in 200 years and being like man it took us a while to get this shit together yeah, but anyway yeah. not uh apollo 13 and i need to just preface this with letting you know this is not going to be a a happy story Oh no! Is this all about when you went to space? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've talked about that too much. Let's go somewhere. Let's do something different this time. So, okay. but I'm going to take you back in time to to 1995. <laughs> um, okay. I'm uh, eight years old, um, and mm-hmm. uh, and Apollo 13 is out of the cinema, and I think we're we're on a family holiday. I think uh, in the UK, just um, somewhere else, and. We uh we decide we're going to go to the well my parents decide we're going to go to the cinema, um as we often did as a family, um but there was I think there was some kind of disagreement about what we were going to see, so my mum and dad I think wanted to see two different things, so the plan became my mum would go to the film that she wanted to see with my brother, who must who had been five years old at the time maybe it was more friendly to him, 
but my dad really wanted to see Apollo 13, but no one else wanted to go. Um, but I've, I can't remember whether I, I sided with my dad or I was lumped with my dad, but I went to see Apollo 13 with my dad, but I was not happy about it. I did not want to see it. It looked like a boring grown-up movie and I was grumpy about it. So uh, we get the tickets and we go and sit down and the entire time I'm sat there like a grumpy kid with my arms crossed looking at the ground, not even trying to watch the movie. My dad's like, just just give it a chance, just watch. And I'm just being like, no, I didn't want to watch this movie. And we made it maybe 20 to 30 minutes through the movie until my dad got so annoyed at my moaning that we left. Oh, no. We just, he just like, he just went fine and just got up and we walked out and he maybe was stomping a bit and I felt a little bit embarrassed because I realised everyone would be able to see us stomping out of this movie so early on. And that is a is a memory that has really stuck with me and I still feel guilty about it to this day. About And I have a few of these where I I kick the shit out of myself for things I did when I was a kid and I haven't really <laughs> forgiven myself. For, but even though I was a child, I was eight years old and... You know, it's just stuff that eight-year-olds do. And to this day, I haven't watched Apollo 13. It's I'm throwing this in there, even though I've never seen it more than 20 minutes through. And the few little clips of, like, Tom Hanks pissing in space and stuff. Um, so Has your dad seen it? I don't know. But as I was um, making up this list, I thought to myself, what I should really do, and maybe this would help appease my conscience and as a way of apology and I may have apologized to into him in conversation as as an adult and it being like ah don't worry about it mate it's a long time ago but I still haven't relieved myself of that guilt unlike Tom Hanks unlike relieving Tom Hanks himself in the yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tom Hanks That's loves good. to relieve himself in movies by the way I don't know if you've uh, you've noticed this but in in Apollo 13, he, he pees in space and, and the film shows yeah. us how annoying and <laughs> difficult that is to do. And we get to see his fine, his relief when he finally manages to do it. He gets to pee in like with ecstasy in the end of a green mile after Michael Clark Duncan grabs and heals his willy. Um, in Castaway, we get to see him pissing into the ocean when he's on a desert island. And what's the other one I thought? Oh, and in, I don't, this is not so much, um, oh, in one of his 80s movies, maybe The Burbs, there's a scene where he's wearing really tiny, very loose shorts and he needs a toilet and he's like, running around the house trying to find a toilet, holding his willy in a very antisocial way. And then in Saving Private Ryan, him and Tom Sizemore talk about some old soldier who used to piss on people's jackets. So Tom Hanks has got a weird thing about pissing. Do you think it's because he chooses roles that physically challenge him in extreme situations? So he can portray characters who are in uh, situations that it takes a real actor to embody, such as the tragedy of almost dying in space or being marooned on a desert island or partaking in the Normandy uh, the Normandy uh, invasion? Or do you think that it's he, his agent insists that at some point in the performance he has to piss on screen? Yeah, maybe it's, uh, the agent insists on his behalf. He's like... I've just got this weird thing. Like Tom Cruise wants to run in every movie that he's in. Tom Hanks yeah. wants to piss in every movie that he's in. Or you could be yeah, right. Yeah. Like this could be an intentional juxtaposition of, of of difficulty and tragedy and just showing that there are some reliefs <laughs> in life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can be uh, a guard on death row and 
you know, there's, there's a guy on there who's clearly different and maybe isn't as guilty as he seems, but he, see, he is, does appear to be doomed. And then you've got this other prison guard who's a weasley little shitbag who just like tortures people and oh I fucking hated that guy oh I got so angry at that scene where he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't wet the sponge this isn't the green this isn't oh, the green mile this isn't the green episode. mile podcast we'll do um, the prison yeah. podcast about specifically about prison related movies <laughs> or you know it's the um the fucking what do they call it what's what's it called when people on death row are execution they're Oh, the, no. the execution podcast. That, that, that sounds heavy. Dark. That That's, sounds too heavy for me. I'd rather do the one about too. Tom Hanks peeing if I can. Yeah, I think we just did it. Um, yeah. But so yeah, so I'm thinking having having been thinking about this today, what I might do after we finish recording is go on Amazon and order him a copy of Apollo 13 on 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 Blu-ray if he if he's got Blu-ray capabilities. I'm not sure, or on DVD, and maybe with a note just to say do you remember that time in 1995 where i made you storm out of apollo 13 because i was being a whingy little shit uh, i feel really bad about it i'm really sorry here this is for you love dave mm. no you're not allowed to do that why not because what you have to do is you have to buy a copy then after lockdown you have to watch it with him and then you have to record your conversation about the movie afterwards discussing how good the movie was and your memories of that and you've got to turn it into content yeah god damn it and post it on the channel that's which is most certainly going to end in a tear-drenched hugs oh beautiful beautiful i want that content dave you're all you're always pouring at my content died much like tom hanks demands piss i demand content demands content from dave all times yes well do you have anything else to to add on this one i guess as you haven't seen it yeah i mean have you seen it yes it was as a kid it was one of my favorite movies really so it's another one yeah i won't go away and watch this one like lethal weapon i will i mean you're right i need to share this catharsis Mm. with my dad as way of as way of relieving myself of this burden and achieving grace. Yes. I've always thought that the only path between you and reaching a state of nirvana was watching Apollo 13 with your dad. And I'm glad that you're so close to reaching a full enlightenment and that it can be achieved. I think that's great. We're that's pretty really close. Great. Yeah. Well, it's nice yeah. to put a plan together. It's just, it's very, yeah. feels therapeutic. But no, that that's all I have to say on Apollo 13. Okay. Well, then let's move on to my final one and see if this time the picture will work (laughs) beautiful Excellent, excellent picture. Is this the entire trilogy? Yes, it is. It's entirely the wrong era, but, you know, it's fine. We'll forgive it. 
I, you know what, Dave? I'm going to say that the Boba Fett helmet is not the wrong era for the Star Wars prequels, and let me tell you why. Daddy issues, motherfucker. If you remember in Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, we see a young Boba Fett with his father, Jango Fett. What I was wearing there was not to try and be era appropriate. It was trying to honour the loss of that young boy on Geonosis who saw his father's head so wildly executed by Mace Windu. And then he picked up the helmet and for some reason the decapitated face of his father didn't drop to the floor. I don't know why it is, his face is like glued into it's that helmet. It's a very snug helmet, yeah. I mean, yeah, to it doesn't just like, like an egg, like an egg from a cloaca. It doesn't happen, <laughs> but, but that's what I want to see, Dave. In my Star Wars movies, I want to see Jango Fett's head drop from that helmet like an egg from a cloaca. That's the sort of thing that I, would take it from a PG straight up to a 12A. <laughs> I don't ask for much, but when I do, yeah. So, the Star Wars prequels. You know how I just spent like 45 minutes saying about how good Bill and Ted and how good Lethal Weapon is? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I'm not going to do that here. Well, that's good. I mean, that, that's going to restore some um, semblance of respect. Yes, I'm not, I'm not here to convince listeners or you that the Star Wars prequels are actually fantastic films. Um, instead, it's I chose all three movies rather than just going for one because for me and my relationship with my dad, it's not just the like watching of a movie. Although when we did the Star Wars episode with uh, with dad, where we spoke about the original trilogy, we said how uh, me and dad. I remember going to watch the Phantom Menace up here which is on your right uh, yes yes we went we went to go and watch that together and i remember going to the cinema to, to see that with him and watching all of the star wars movies in preparation for that um which must have been i must have been about eight or nine i guess yeah at that point so that was a big that was a big moment but then it was also the next what six years seven years from phantom menace to revenge of the sith um, and all of the Star Wars that came with that, right? It, because it wasn't just the movies, it was Knights of the Old Republic, Knights of the Old Republic 2, Star Wars Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront 2. It was uh, everything that came with that that meant that for, for me and Dad, it would be like, again, eating pizza, watching Star Wars movies, then, oh, the movie's finished, let's put on the Xbox, and play Star Wars. And so... For you played me, Battlefront uh, with your dad? Oh, yeah. Oh. We conquered the galaxy more times than you could possibly imagine. I'm so jealous. The only yeah, and that, that would... We'd go from planet to planet, and we, we knew like how all of the maps, all of this stuff. Um, and I remember coming downstairs one time and seeing that somebody had been playing the PlayStation, at, judging by the time of the save file, somebody had been playing <laughs> Star Wars Battlefront at 3am. And I go, uh, 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 um, uh, um. Excuse and me, sir. Went, no, 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 I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> but that was, that was the thing, right? It wasn't like... Um, it was something that we both... We actually both loved and both loved doing. Even if I wasn't there, Dad would have been doing it on his own anyway, and, <laughs> and was, as you, as you can tell. Um, but it was something that we we both we both really enjoyed. And one thing that I wanted to mention when we did the podcast with Dad, but that I forgot, was you know that really strong connection between memory and smell. Yeah. 
and um, how those two can be so uh, so well connected. Um, for me, I have that with my dad's house, literally, and Star Wars. Like, like, like no shit. The, the smell of my dad's house smells like Star Wars to me. <laughs> which is really bizarre and really weird to explain. But on my phone, I have the Knights of the Old Republic iOS edition, right? Where they released the game from like 10 years ago onto the iPad, the iPhone, all of this. Yeah, I had stuff. that on my old my old phone, actually. Yeah, so I used to play that on the toilet at work. Yes. Yeah, I've never played it, but I bought it because it's my favorite game. I have the tattoo of it. But every time I see that app on my phone, I can smell my dad's house. Right. That's wow, how that's strong that's how strong that that me- connection of that memory is. Because I'm I must have put in like 300 hours or something into those, you know, into those games. Um and because I only had an Xbox at my dad's house, so I could only play the Xbox on Sunday at dad's house, it meant I couldn't play Knights of the Old Republic anywhere else on any other day of the week. I could only play it at dad's house on a Sunday. So uh, that's why those those are so heavily connected as well, because my dad had the Star Wars DVDs or VHSs, I think probably both, and my mum's house didn't because my stepdad hates Star Wars. So like those were not in the house. Um, and it wasn't until I kind of got my brother into them later on that that kind of took on a new generation as I passed it down to my brother because he wouldn't have got it from from my uh, from my mum or my stepdad. So, um, yes, super strong connection with with not just these movies, but that era of Star Wars that was so influential and and generous. And when you look back at when people say, oh, that was the best Star Wars even if it's not these movies, it's the things that were released in this atmosphere of Star Wars, like Knights of the Old Republic and the legacy that came out of that. Because if there weren't new Star Wars movies, they wouldn't have made those games. Because, you know, that was that was this, it was this time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so even if you don't like the prequels, that, that era of Star Wars is often considered to be, to be the best. Um, for just like, for universal creation. Um, yeah, it, was so, we, it got so deep. And uh, yeah. to be fair, like I, th- it was these movies that made me want to learn more about the universe and delve deeper. And I know probably more about the, the 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 background workings of this era of Star Wars because of the movies and the tie-in games like Battlefront in particular. Because yeah, it was just they just um, it was a real confluence of uh, what's the word I'm looking for, canon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they just. Again, it's that George Lucas thing of George Lucas likes to make these movies or liked to. And also he really liked to make money. And it's that same thing of like in in Return of the Jedi, they never use the word Ewok once. Yeah. The word Ewok is not used by any character at any time in any Star Wars movie. So how the hell does everyone know that they're called Ewoks? Right. How does that happen within culture? Um, and that's you know, that's that's Star Wars. You know, it's it's just it's just that that uh, that love of the law and the culture. It'd be like if you know in Star Trek they never used the word Klingon, but we all knew what Klingons were because you they know, were how, toys and yeah, comic yeah, books and all we, kinds of other How things. do we know? You know, and like like uh, like well, Wicket as well, the, the Ewok. How do we know the names of the Ewok characters? You know, it's like how does that even happen? Um, 
but it's, the, it's, it's just this era, the prequel era of Star Wars, which was exciting and, and engaging. Like, I, I loved those movies as a kid, and it wasn't until I grew up that I realised that they sucked. Because for <laughs> me, it was like, oh my god, and he's got a purple lightsaber, and he's got this, and it's like, oh my god, he's the coolest character. And any time I played any game, I had to have a purple lightsaber, because Mace Windu was the most badass Jedi in the galaxy. Because he just was. Like, he, he just was. Uh, and it's not until becoming an, a, a cynical adult going, oh, maybe these movies aren't that good. But I didn't realise they weren't good until someone told me they weren't good. Because to me, it was that experience with my dad and that relationship that we had with the movies. That it wasn't just about whether the movies were good or not. It was about being, you know, growing up and having this as something that we shared and that we enjoyed together. Um, so, yeah, they're not they're not great movies happy happy to lay that out there but the um yeah growing up with them was uh was a pleasure and a joy and i would rather that the movies stayed as they were but i have all of this right i wouldn't i wouldn't change my relationship with these movies for better movies no nor would i no no which is a nice segue to Another project that we will be working on soon, because what have I been doing for the last three weeks, Dave? You've been working hard during um, this lockdown. Uh, it's more than three weeks. Oh, my God. It's been yes, going yeah, on for a, a while. But it began with um, episode one. But, um, dear listeners, <laughs> Dominic was spending his days sending me n- numerous... <laughs> voice messages on whatsapp outlying his um reimagining and rewriting of the prequel star wars prequel trilogy all the way through each of the three movies and i think we have an idea to uh, uh smash all of these voice recordings together into a, a one long story and then we're gonna we're gonna do something with it we're gonna put it out maybe we might get people to we might write like script it and get people to play the characters and but we have this that we have this foundation that the dominic's beautiful mind has has put together and oh, as long yeah. as it's as long as it's actually technically possible to take voice messages off of whatsapp and put them into something else we're, we're going to do something with it yeah i it might have to be that i listen back through to everything that i said and take notes and then we just re-record we re i'll just have to do it again um, but we'll do it. We'll do it like this, as a as like a podcast, and I'll just go yeah go through it all. But my God, so much time was spent rewriting the Star Wars prequels. All it in your mind too. That you didn't write any of this down, right? No, no, no none of it is written down. It's all just yeah. Oh shit! It's all just insomnia. <laughs> this is only preserved for in posterity on our phones. We we need to yes. we, we need to back these up pretty pronto yeah actually. you're right because a minute ago we were just saying oh i might get a new phone but if i get a new phone i lose the star wars prequels oh shit so... yeah don't let if our phones die now okay yeah this can't happen oh my god this can't happen okay all right fine we'll do it so just after saying i wouldn't change the star wars movies <laughs> yeah, i was gonna mention I'm, I'm literally i'm literally have i literally have done the question is dave because you were the only person who was listened to my re- rewriting of the star wars prequels. you can break my heart right now do you think that they compare in any way to the majesty that is the the Star Wars prequels? Well, the disadvantage you have is that you have no visual medium. 
Yes, you can't actually watch them. You can't yeah. watch them because what what was so compelling about the prequel trilogy to me growing up was it was stunning visually. Like I didn't see yeah. anything like it. And even though I'd seen the original Star Wars movies, they were so much more low tech and low fi in comparison. So, yeah, I think probably part of what made them quite successful, I'm sure, the prequel trilogy, even if they weren't reviewed well and or they're not um, remembered um, all that fondly, was that it, they were spectacles. And so they have that, and they have hundreds of millions of dollars to make them look as good as they did. Whereas all you have is your mind, which, in my opinion, it far exceeds that of George Lucas. Oh, well, that is, yeah, that is nice. Yeah, it's been evidenced throughout this series of podcast daddy issues where you keep, you have a, a much better grasp of story and, and character development than than George Lucas does. He's he built <laughs> he built an amazing universe that we all love mm-hmm. and we are indebted to him for. But what happened with the prequel trilogy is that he had built up enough stock in Hollywood and enough money that he went, "Can I do it all by myself?" They went, "Yeah, go on then." And he could. And yeah, yeah. yeah. and then he didn't have like he had in the original trilogy people around him, better uh d- better photographers, better writers and you know, better probably or people who weren't giving him as much leeway, as much leash to go, you know, just rein it in a bit, George. Just rein it in. Let's not go crazy. And when it came to the prequels, he was like, I'm going to go crazy. Yeah. And he did. And yeah. they, they kind of suffered for it in terms of, you know, um, storytelling and character development and dialogue. But, you know, still, we watched them all. I've seen them all. A, uh, I was oh, about to say yeah. a gunch of times. That's not a word but it's a lot. No, but that is that is a, a fair explanation for how many times that we have seen the Star Wars prequels. A gagunch of times. Yeah. Like, I believe that. Like, yeah, that that, that checks out to me. Which one have yeah. you seen the most? Or, and to the least? I reckon I may have seen Attack of the Clones the most. Oh, really? I reckon. For that Jedi, that end fight on Geonosis. Yeah. I think. Because Attack of the Clones, we have said this before, and it's one of my favourite quotes from, from Red Letter Media, who... Uh, just have the best who became famous for the, their initial critique of um, of the Star Wars prequels like 15 years ago um, one of the best things that, uh, that they've said on there before is that Attack of the Clones is the worst movie ever made in proportion to its budget <laughs> yeah right so there, there are worse movies of course like you know, The Room or things like that but they were made for like a couple of million dollars at the most Whereas Attack of the Clones cost like a hundred million dollars, one hundred fifty million dollars, or whatever, um, and is a a bad movie. But the question is, why is it a bad movie? Because it's a bad movie with like a hundred amazing scenes in it, right? It's like uh, the the end fight with the in the Colosseum with the Jedi and and the monsters. It's like fucking cool. And uh, the Django Fett chase scene with the no the bomb is in the like, asteroid field. It, yeah. Oh my god, it's so good. I like it that fight on good. Camino as it well. Actually, sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's the, again the Camino and Geonosis. They don't feel like tacked on worlds that have been rushed to be made. Right? They. They are. They feel like real. Like I buy into Camino and what Camino is. I buy into Geonosis and, and to what it is. But the movie sucks. Even though it's got you know, uh, Ewan McGregor doing 
awesome work. He rules as, as Obi-Wan. Christopher Lee as Count Dooku, great, great actor playing a, an aloof character, just, just being Christopher Lee. Um, Samuel L. Jackson gets to fuck shit up. We get the jetpacks. We get, you know, there's so much there, but the movie sucks. Um, and that is part of the rewriting that we were doing that, you know, that I was doing was like, there are so many awesome ingredients within the Star Wars prequels, but they've been put together in such a way that they've made a crap meal, right? And you eat the meal and it's kind of like, ugh. But it's like, it's like uh, a meal of, of like chocolate and jelly beans and <laughs> then, you know, and, and everything and then Marmite. Right, it's like it's like everything you love, but together it's like no, I don't want you know, I don't want chocolate covered marmite. That's you know, that's just weird. Um, and yeah, so the idea of of the rewriting is: can you keep those ingredients, but turn them actually into a satisfying, uh, into a satisfying piece? Because if you start changing stuff, then it's not the Star Wars prequels, right? Like the 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 key ingredients have to exist. It's just can they be made better? Um, and a good example for me is like uh, people were becoming increasingly upset that on Naboo uh, Queen Amidala wears like Japanese her, her regal outfit is like Japanese inspired and it's this kind of cultural appropriation thing and it's like why do they keep referencing Japanese stuff in the Star Wars prequels and it's like because the initial Star Wars movies were fucking Kurosawa movies. Yeah. Right? Like, Darth, people are like, oh my god, Darth Vader, he, he, like, his outfit is, like, kind of based on a Shogun thing, and it's so racist. It's like, no, it's designed to be a Kurosawa reference. Like, that's the whole fucking point. Oh, you noticed it looks Japanese? Congratulations. You watched the movie. Right? And, like, with the Star Wars prequels, again, Naboo and that Japanese thing is harking back to the Kurosawa thing. But the problem is, is that George Lucas, and it's the problem with the sequel trilogy now as well, then they're not referencing anything the way that Lucas was initially harking back to Flash Gordon and the Kurosawa movies. Right? There's no influence in them other than Star Wars. Um, and for the sequel trilogy, that's especially true. Like, there's nothing new in that. Uh, what What is it inspired by? It's inspired by Star Wars. So it's nothing, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's Attack of the Clones. The move, like the sequel trilogy is Attack of the Clones. They just made the same shit again because they weren't tying, they weren't inspired by anything than what already existed. Um, and so I thought for, for rewriting the prequels, the original trilogy was made in 77. The first movie was made in 77. And so if you look back at what he's referencing, what George Lucas is referencing, it's from like the 50s, right? The, the serials or like the, the, the Flash Gordon stuff is maybe even a little bit earlier, 30s, 40s. But then the Kurosawa movies are kind of like 20 years before, um, before Star Wars. So what came out around 20 years before the Star Wars prequels? Uh, the sci-fi related in in the Star Wars was initially referencing Flash Gordon. So what came out twenty years around twenty years before the prequels that they could be inspired by? I was thinking about this yesterday. In terms of like visual imagination, what could you tie into or hark back to? Um, I don't know. So we're looking around late 
70 well at very end of 70s early 80s like early 80s sci-fi which is when sci-fi like the, all the best sci-fi movies are from yeah so is it 20 years before that no no i'm talking about the, the oh, 20 right. years well, before the prequels close encounters yeah why are you Go quizzing keep me going. throw me some throw me some names out there oh no you put me on the spot because i no, because this is this is what I mean in terms of like imagining what the visuals of the prequels should look like, right? What the prequels should be trying to encapsulate is the spirit of the science fiction movies from like the seventies and the eighties, the same way that the original Star Wars was capturing the stuff from from before. So I was thinking, in terms of Asian inspired cinema from the late seventies, early eighties, or like the, all that kind of time period, right? You want to be harking back to the bruce lee hong kong style uh of martial arts cinema rather than the japanese kurosawa stuff because that's japanese cinema had moved on by that point so instead of going from kurosawa we're going to draw more from in terms of the fight like the fight scene we're leaving some of the samurai stuff and pulling more from from bruce lee inspired work so it, it becomes a bit more physical then in terms of the visuals like blade runner is the most visually spectacular science fiction movie from right that, from that yeah time yeah and so we abandon tatooine and all of the desert stuff and it's that kind of blade runner visual like chuck alien in there as well there's kind of the you know these ridley scott visual it's all very dark you yeah ridley scott so it's all very black mm, yes but then that's where you have things like close encounters as well Right, and you you have that idea of hope and stuff coming in. Yeah, there, but... I guess that's the difference because yeah. Spielberg was all about light and illumination, yes. as opposed to Ridley yeah. Scott, which is all about the darkness and then neon things that bring out the dark. Yes, and George Lucas in the prequels kind of do that with Coruscant, kind of. Yeah, I was thinking that's right? the closest but... I can think. Yeah, but he just doesn't he doesn't quite make doesn't quite make the leap there. So. Yeah, just pulling from those those visual inspirations. And the closer we get, because it's all about the building to the Empire, right? The closer you get to the Empire, the darker everything should get anyway. So those kinds of things kind of... And then let's fucking pull from David Lynch's Dune as well while we're at it. Well, if you want Tatooine, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Giant fucking sandworms. I want them. Is that what they did in the the Mandalorian with the, the crate dragon? With the Great Dragon, maybe. Yeah, taking Frank Herbert and David Lynch's Dune. Another movie I'm looking forward to. Another Daddy Issues movie when the new one comes out. Anyway, this was just a rant about Star Wars. Again, <laughs> I happened, it happened It's again. happened all the time. You can, yeah, you can edit out like all of that stuff. None of that was important. <laughs> Everything you say about Star Wars is important. Ugh, I wish. I wish. And... What is your final Daddy Issues movie, Dave? Okay. Well, moving on from that, this this is a this is a step up in that I have actually seen this movie. That is useful, actually, but, to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, but I've only seen it once, so it's only a, a minor improvement on the last one. But as I said, like movies and my dad aren't two things that really go hand in hand, so. These are a bit more obscure and quite specific memories. Like, not unlike, yeah, you would watch the same movies with your dad over and over again. Um, and they didn't really have that with my with my dad. But here's one that 
that stuck out in my mind. And it's a bit weird. Wait, oh, I can even... I'm going to duck out the way. Is this... Is this tying into our Shakespeare movie adaptation? Well, I was gonna... When you mentioned Shakespeare earlier, I was, I was like, Oh, I'm gonna bring up Shakespeare again! But not yet, because I already decided on the, the run of play. In Belmont is a lady who richly left, and she is fair. And I but the means. Try what my credit can in Venice do. To furnish you to Belmont and fair Portia. If you repay me not on such a day, let the forfeit be an equal pound of your fair flesh. Academy Award winner Al Pacino. William Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice. So, The Merchant of Venice. 2004 is The Merchant of Venice. Jeremy Irons. Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons, Joseph Fiennes. Um, who else is in it? I should have had it all up in front of me. Lynn, Col- Lynn Collins. So, this is a weird one. That, like, like I say, the movies weren't super part of my dad's... Um, well, at least, actually, let's, let me rephrase. Sitting The movies we'd watch as a family, he'd often shown little interest in. And maybe he'd laugh if he was caught by surprise by characters that he found really amusing. But often I would... I think that he would get bored. I think that maybe they just didn't really um, stimulate him. But then as I got older, he would watch... Mo- him and my mum would watch movies without us. And then... Um, they would mention, oh, he watched this film and it was good. And there was a particular, this particular film, the Al Pacino version of Merchant of Venice. I remember he had watched it and he told me the next day about how much he loved it and it blew him away. And Al Pacino's performance particularly was like this was stunning and it was just everything that he liked about cinema. And so I was kind of, um, I kind of, uh, I was kind of taken aback by that. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, how good can this really be? And this, what, 2004, I was. 17 so i still wasn't particularly mature um <laughs> film lover um so i didn't i watched i watched plenty of what you'd call serious movies but more out of um curiosity about these classics that i should see um and shakespeare was something that was not of any interest to me whatsoever and i didn't really get i didn't understand we like at school we think we actually read the merchant of venice and i just kind of winged it <laughs> and I remembered about a pound of flesh and that was that was about it and we went on a school trip to watch a Macbeth once which I found really really boring so it didn't you know Shakespeare just didn't click with me it just didn't compute and then I sat down and watched The Merchant of Venice with Al Pacino and watching it performed by very um very dramatic and very uh visceral actors I was like oh I get it now. I understand Shakespeare because of this movie. I never would have watched it if I hadn't kind of, I think, sort of sought my dad's approval by watching a film that I knew he liked. And I gave it my time and my attention when I normally probably wouldn't have done. And so, yeah, that's why this, this sticks in my mind because it gave me something to talk about with him that was about a movie. And we have, we have that more uh, now more nowadays where you know my well, the films that I watch are quite varied um and I recommend some things to him sometimes or to my both my parents that 
I never hear about again, which I presume means that they didn't like it or didn't get it. And like, well, I sat down to watch uh, Spirited Away with my parents one night when we had sushi, and I thought, let's watch a Japanese movie. And um, they like kind of fairy tale stuff, particularly my mum. And then the film ended, and no one said a word. It was just, well, let's tidy up then, shall we? It's like, oh, and that's like a bit like when you mention a, a oh, song or a movie to somebody, and you're yeah. just on tenterhooks waiting for them to say whether oh. they like it or not. And I was so sure this would be something that they would enjoy but it it was just it just it just fell flat <laughs> but um so to know that i already had an in almost i was like he already told me that he likes this so i'm gonna go away and i don't know try and impress him i guess and i don't know if um i don't really recall the conversation but it was definitely became a window to, to understand of understanding for me then i could appreciate something like shakespeare now because of this movie which I'm sure maybe mm. there are Shakespeare purists would be like you watched a Shakespeare play by an American and it's Al Pacino just yelling at stuff it's like well <laughs> it, even if you kind of call it if maybe it's simplified and simplistic but it did it for me and I you know it maybe was a, a really maybe it does serve as a really good gateway kind of movie and it, it worked for me at 17 well, that's great that's a good good explanation thanks i don't know it's probably one you haven't seen i've got no i've got i've got nothing else to add other than to go good memory good daddy issues memory i'm starting to uh get i'm starting as more as these episodes go on i'm starting to not starting to feel i think it's it's becoming apparent that in terms of daddy issues i have a lot more of them than you do (laughs) and uh (laughs) And this is a probably maybe a lot more exploratory and and uh, and therapeutic to me than it is to you because you just get to talk about all the great shit that you get to share with your dad because you're like buds. <laughs> <laughs> but I get that's because we're not doing stepdaddy issues. Oh, that's uh, that have to be our next podcast where you can host that one and then uh, I can talk about my my week at therapy. Maybe we need to find mm-hmm. some some um, some IP that deals with with stepdad relationships just so we can maybe. mine that a little bit maybe yeah a place beyond the pines was kind of a, a a good one for for that kind of stuff but yes no i i think it's it's all good for the for the most part and i mentioned of venice is a great one to bring up a complete departure from what we've looked at uh what we've looked at earlier on in uh, in the playlist um I really like the the movies that you've chosen because they are so varied and so different as well. Yeah. Um, which actually kind of brings us on to our honourable mentions. One of them was going to be Mr. Bean. We've already uh, done that one. Yeah, else, yeah, that was good. Yeah, what else is on your list? The other ones I have on my list, honourable mentions, are The Prince of Egypt, the animated film. Okay. From, yeah. a nine, from 98. That's like a musical. Because it's it's a biblical story and my parents are, are all about that Bible they love that shit, <laughs> yeah. but um, it was an animated movie with ha- which had songs in it. So it was like watching The Lion King or some sort of anime um, cartoon thing that we loved as kids. But it had it had some interest that my my dad would fall into, and it's a, it's mm. actually a really I watched that film again a few years ago. It's a really great film, a great like historical movie. It's, it's just as much about like uh, Moses and Ramesses as brothers, yeah, yeah. and uh, and Egypt at that time as it is about. Moses' relationship with God and the miracles that happen and all that stuff and the plagues and stuff. Um, but yeah, and the songs are, are really good, really like 
emotive and and powerful. Um, so yeah, that that's one that he I remember he always liked, and because it was a cartoon, I was kind of surprised. And then I think he was surprised to enjoy it because it was a cartoon, but kind of simplistic thinking, I suppose. Um, and the other one I wanted to mention was Cool Runnings. Okay. <laughs> which is which is one we watched a lot as a kid and uh, as kids, sorry. Um, and I, I apparently, and this is a, a bit of um, bit. I have to reveal a bit of a cheat, but I was getting stumped for for ideas. So I messaged my mum. I was like, "Hey, mum, can you think of any films that we always watch as a family that Dad particularly enjoyed?" Mm-hmm. And she she was like, "Um, let me, uh, I don't know. Let me go away and think about it." And then later on that day, she sent me a list of about twenty movies. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, and I'd, I'd forgotten all about them. And obviously, she had memories of us all watching them together. And yeah, um, a yeah. lot of them, I didn't have very many um, specific memories. I don't associate them with my dad in any way, more just the fact that we all watched them together. Uh, but Cool Runnings is one that I do remember. Um, I remember liking at that time, because when did that come out? Now, it came out in 93, so we probably watched it on video and whatever. And uh, that, was, that movie was one that the ending of it really stirred me. As even as a as a kid, I can't remember how old I might have been. Maybe like ten, eleven, twelve years old. And then the ending of that movie, really like really like, I had an emotional reaction to it. It wasn't just laughing at funny people or watching dramatic sports action. Actually, the ending. Do you remember the ending where they crash their bobsled in the final um, heat or whatever? At the Olympics, and then they all get up and carry their bobsled over the finish line. Oh, good lord, that that got to me. So that those are those are my my honourable mentions. Did you did you bring any? I've got one. I've got one okay. big honourable mention I wanted to bring in, which is the original Hellboy. Oh, the Ron Perlman. The with Ron Perlman as Hellboy. Yes. yes. That one is a is a daddy issues one for me because the one really big holiday. That, that me and my dad had been on uh, was to Florida um, when I was 13, I guess. I, would, I guess I would have been about 13, yes. And so we went to, um, we went to Orlando uh, in Florida where they had the Universal Studios and all that stuff. Then we went down to Tampa and we were in uh, we were in Tampa for the last Super Bowl that Tampa played before this one. So we were actually there. They weren't nice. playing in the Super Bowl wasn't in Tampa, but Tampa no. Bay, the Buccaneers were playing in the Super Bowl. They won. So. Yeah, I remember. I watched, I think we mentioned um, yes. during the week, didn't we? That, that was the very first Super Bowl I ever watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was kind of a cool moment being there for that. But one of the things we had at our little uh, hotel motel it was a motel room i guess and this is where we we discovered our love of pancakes as well because of ponderosa the like uh breakfast cafe kind of place in in america that you go to and it's like a buffet and you pick up like seven or eight pancakes or whatever and cover them and the 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 the, uh, mission was to see what was the most number of pancakes i could eat by the time we left because when (laughs) i got there it was like three pancakes and it's like oh my god i'm so full by the end it was like seven pancakes (laughs) it's like i'm training i'm training up like rocky um but every time we we would go out we would do some amazing stuff um like we do we take one of the uh one of like the air the airboat things like around by like floating over like crocodiles and things like that go to universal studios um and then we go back and like every night 
the channel on the TV in the hotel room would be playing Hellboy. Like, every night. Um, and it was like, do you just want to watch Hellboy again? Yeah, actually, that's exactly what I want to do. So the two <laughs> things we took away, the, the two pieces of American culture we really brought back was uh, Hellboy and that 70s show. Because in the UK, no one in the UK knew of that 70s show because it wasn't shown on any of the TV channels. Yeah. Like this was before Freeview or anything like that. It wasn't on channels one to five. So that 70s show just didn't exist in the UK. But we saw it on TV in America and we're like, oh my God, this is amazing. So when we got back to the UK, we actually bought the DVDs and watched the whole series. And it was a really big thing that we brought back. Um, and Hellboy was another one of those. It became like a, a, a father-son favorite. Whereas like, uh, it's just, it's funny. It's uh, Del Toro just doing great work. Ron Perlman is like a, a, a legend for me and my dad. It's like going on to Sons of Anarchy and stuff like that as well. It's like, uh, yeah, just everything about that experience is kind of, yeah, brilliant and, and wonderful. That's cool. I mean, Hellboy itself is a daddy issues story. Yeah, it is. Oh, man, maybe we have to bring that up again for another one. Yeah. But yeah, I think that that's a pretty good playlist. It's, we've gone on for a while, so we may have to do a little bit of editing over some of my rants. <laughs> but I think it's a, it's a fairly, it's a pretty good playlist, varied, um, and with, with some different emotions tied into it as well. Yeah, for sure. And there are plenty of, I think they're all good movies apart from the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which I which I always I watched okay so every time as an as an adult that I've sat down to watch the prequels I've watched all three like if you're gonna watch mm-hmm. them you might as well watch them all um, and then four five years ago um, I thought everyone knows that the prequel trilogy is not great but everyone seems to say that Revenge of the Sith is the best one so I'm just gonna watch Revenge of the Sith on its own out of context of the other two and see if it holds up and having watched it to the end I went yeah, I never need to watch any of these movies again. <laughs> I, I did not. I didn't enjoy it at all. But I think now enough time has gone past that the that the the wound is healed, and I'm like, I'm kind of curious, and I, now I want to watch them again. And my girlfriend's never seen them, so there's an excuse as well to sit down and give them another go. Mm. The question is, do you rewatch them before or after we have done our rewrite? I think that's just a matter of um, serendipity. Whatever happens first mm. happens first. Okay. Okay. Mm, okay. Oh, he's stroking his beard. <laughs> mm, because I'm thinking, I don't want you to be bringing in any of that Jar Jar Binks shit. <laughs> I did. I did notice his omission from your uh, from your voice messages. No, that's that's kind of what I ended up deciding. Was key things have to be included from the originals, right? You can't just remove shit, except for Jar Jar Binks. That fucker's gone. Yeah. Just no one's like, gonna yeah, be worried. Just... It's gonna complain about that. No, no. We, we we can introduce other comedy characters. That's fine. No problem at all. But uh, it, it's kind of a racist character. Um, it's got a lot of hate. You can't you can't rewrite him and and include him at this point. It's like the Trade Federation guys who are like these weird kind of and Watto. There's like a lot a, of weird like. Um, yeah, yeah. We're just we're just gonna kind of we're just gonna get rid of that and and, and do something different. Yeah, you could. Definitely this isn't do the Star Wars prequels no, we, rewrite, we get, Dave. We're, we're okay. saving that for something else. Let's stop. So, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to our, our playlist. What movies would you say influenced uh, your relationship with your parents? Leave them in the comments down below. Uh, you can give us a like. 
you can send Dave a message and tell everyone how handsome he is. Uh, I'm sure he'd appreciate that. Oh, he's shaking his head. He doesn't want anyone to tell him how handsome he is. So I'm going to leave a comment saying how handsome he is. <laughs> uh, other than that, we'll, we'll see you on the next episode. What's our next episode, Dave? I don't know. <laughs> it's my favourite movie. My favourite Daddy Issues movie, I Don't Know, starring Alan Smithy. Alan and... Smithy, yeah. And Tommy Wiseau. And Jake and Lloyd. <laughs> what oh, yes. I watched that. So thank you for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time for whatever the fuck we do. Who cares? <laughs> That's a nihilistic <laughs> way to end the episode. <laughs>